I believe that the machine, the machine referred to in our country as abortion, is seeing its last days. If that is true, then that is, of course, God acting in response to many prayers. Abortion is a machine. And we must understand our place in reference to the cultural war that is about us. And so issues like abortion and homosexuality and alcohol and other such items must be addressed from time to time. It would be wrong of us to fill our lessons with these types of lessons all the time. I don't think the Lord wants us to do that. But this evening we will address abortion and we'll start in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, God's call of Jeremiah, the great prophet. Jeremiah 1 beginning in verse 4, the word of Jehovah came unto me saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before you came out of the womb, I sanctified thee, as I have appointed thee to be a prophet unto the nations. So we'll just simply ask a few questions in regard to abortion as we move through this lesson. I don't relish speaking about these matters, but it is something we must be able to address because the world is seeing how we respond to such uh, matters. I do believe that abortion is on its way out. I don't know how many years, but I think that the tide has turned due to the great technology that is now available. It is becoming apparent to even ungodly people that this is not something that Someone should be involved in, not anyone with common sense. Let's start with this question. What is wrong with abortion? The short answer there, of course, is it destroys something that God has made. What is wrong with abortion? It destroys something God has made. Look what God did in the mother's womb. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 here, God said, Before I formed you, In your mother's belly, I knew you. Look how far back that goes. The Lord knew of Jeremiah before it became apparent that he was even in his mother's belly. In Psalm 139, 13 and 14, David is saying, Lord, I praise you because you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Some translations have there, cover me. You covered me in my mother's womb. But the better translation there is, you you put me together. You carefully knitted me together 
in my mother's womb. Therefore, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully refers to the carefulness of God in his creation. Wonderfully is, look at the result. Look at the result. So look what God did in the mother's womb. And then think about this. Look how God views what's in the mother's womb. He views his work as as life, as a person. He refers to Jeremiah here in Jeremiah 1 verse 5 as pronouns, thee or you. Before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you. I have appointed you to be a prophet unto the nations. Over and over God refers to his work in the mother's womb as life, as, as a person, as a person. Back in Exodus uh, 21, there's instructions in reference to the law of Moses, Exodus 21, 22 to 25. Of course, the law of Moses gave very detailed instructions about everyday life. So if two men were striving together, and it come to pass that one of the wives who was with child happened to uh, get hurt. Two scenarios. If, if, the, if the mom happens to get hurt and her fruit departs, it causes her to have the baby before she planned to have the baby, and there's no harm there to either the mom or the baby, then there would just be a fine to the man who was in strife, or maybe even both men who are in strife, just a, just a small fine. But, notice this in your Bibles. If they're striving together and the lady gets hurt with child who gets hurt and harm does come either to the child or to the mom, then the man would pay, look at your Bible, he will pay life for life, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, eye for eye. Notice that first phrase, life for life. Over in Luke chapter 1 and verse 41, you remember... Mary, future mother of Jesus, comes to visit Elizabeth, future mother of John the Baptist. Elizabeth, John's mother, is further along in pregnancy than Mary. And as Mary arrives in the home, it says there that the babe leaped in her womb for joy. In other words, John, inside his mother's belly, when Mary arrived who's the mother of the Lord, when Mary arrived, the baby leaped in her womb. The interesting thing there is that over in Luke 2 and verse 12, the same word for baby in Luke 141 is used in Luke 2 and verse 12, referring to the newborn child, Jesus. The same word, brephos, in, in, the, uh, in the Greek language, is used in Luke 40, 141. Luke one forty four and Luke 2 verse 12 and Luke 2 verse 16, both referring, the same word for baby is used for the baby in the womb and the baby outside of the mother's womb. In Luke 18, 15 to 18, the same word, you remember the occasion when, when little children were coming into Jesus and trying to see him and parents were bringing them uh, to him for him to bless them and it's his disciples said, Lord, we don't have time for this. Send them away. Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the word for children there in Luke 18 
same word used for John as he was still in his mother's womb, belly, Luke 1, uh, 41. And so what's wrong with abortion? Then it, it destroys what God has made. Look what God did in the mother's womb and look how God views it. And then look what God expects. Look what God expects from the womb. Notice Psalm 127 verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb. W-O-M-B, the fruit of the womb is His reward. In other words, what does God expect from the womb? He expects fruit. Okay. He doesn't expect things to die. He expects that baby to come, keep growing, come out. And God expects fruit. He expects fruit from everybody born into this world. Starting from the mother's womb on up, He expects fruit. God has great, great hope in every child that is born. This is the way He felt about Jeremiah back in Jeremiah 1 verse 5. He says, I knew you before you came into your mother's womb. I sanctified you there and there, right there in your womb, in that womb of your mother. I appointed you to be a prophet unto the nations. See, God, when you came out of your mother's womb, God had great plans for you. Still does. He wants you to be His follower and, and serve Him and so that He can be with you and, and through workers together. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, as workers together, we, we can labor for God. And so look what God expects. Look what God expects from the womb. Paul mentions this in Galatians 1 verse 15 when he said that he also had been set apart for the work of apostleship and the work of preaching. He, God had set him apart even from his mother's womb. Look what God expects. And so when you think about well, what is wrong with abortion, think about those three things. Think about, look what God did. Look how God views His work. And look what He expects from the womb. A second question in regard to abortion. How is it that this great evil is in our land? We regard our country as something somewhat special. If nothing else, because we're here. And we love our land. How is it that this great evil is in our land? Well, very simply... The more that we deny God as a people, then the less our people will value human life. That's how it goes. The more a person denies God, the more that person devalues human life. It's not just for a person, but also for a group of people or even a nation of people. 1 John chapter 4, 19-21, you remember... The words of John, when he asked this question, he says, how can, you, how can you love God whom you have not seen while you do not love man whom you have seen? And John was pointing out, God first loved us so we ought to love one another. And he says, well... How can you say you love me if you don't love man? How can you say you love me whom you have not seen when you don't love man whom you have seen? God puts a connection there. John puts a connection there between loving God and loving man. And it goes the other way as well. When we hate God, we're going to hate man. 
When we deny God, we're going to deny man. That's just an automatic situation. That's why this land, this evil is in our land. Because as more and more people deny God, and not just, not just outwardly speaking that they're against God, but not living according to God's ways is the same thing as denying God. Like we read in Titus chapter 1, 15 and 16, they profess to know God, but by their works they deny Him. And so a people or a person can deny God, even though they profess to love Him and know Him and respect Him, but if they don't live it out in their lives, then that's the same thing as denying Him. And so when we deny God, either with our voices or with our lives, then we automatically devalue human life. So that's why we have this evil in our land. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And then that same fool goes out and does abominable deeds and his ways become very corrupt. It's just automatic. It's automatic. You might say, well, I know an unbeliever. I know an atheist who respects life a good, good deal. And I do too. But that same atheist or unbeliever couldn't for his life if his life depended on it, that unbeliever or atheist could not tell that person in the abortion clinic why they should not kill that baby. They have nothing to appeal to. If you do not believe in God, then as far as morality goes or behavior goes, you're on the same ground as a murderer. You, you're, you have nothing to appeal to. All good things come from God. And the only way to truly be good is to live for God and know Him. A third question is, how does this sin compare to other sins? How does this sin compare to other sins? Well, there's no doubt, abortion, abortion clinics, they are nothing less than barbaric slaughterhouses. It's, it's a gruesome act it is foolish to the very core of somebody's soul. The most popular way of doing their deeds in an abortion clinic is to use a, a drug-induced way of aborting the child. Drug inducement is the most popular. It's, it's cheaper. You don't have to bring in a, a, a surgeon or a person, you can just administer the drugs yourself. And then later, uh, the lady will discharge what was once alive inside of her. The drugs will go in and kill the baby. And at that time, the baby may come out. But then also it may be, in many cases, the baby will not be discharged until later, oftentimes in the toilet or somewhere else. Sometimes part comes out and part stays in. It's, it's gruesome. It's beyond measure as far as cruelty goes. 
And so it's right for us to think about, well, how, how does God view this sin in comparison to other sins, maybe even our own sins? From our viewpoint, it would seem that such atrocities and the people doing them are very, very far away. There are many steps. There are many, many steps away from the truth. And they are. But still, we must be reminded that sin is sin in God's sight. We don't want any sin to be alive and living in anybody's life. We don't want sin to be alive and dominating our lives. But we must keep in mind as we discuss any sin, that any sin will keep us from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, sin separates us from God. He does not say, Isaiah does not say, that a certain type of sin separates us from God. Rather, Isaiah 59 says, sin in itself. We often refer to James 4, 17, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. That kind of sin will keep us from God. That kind of sin will keep us out of heaven as well as gruesome things like abortion. So when we are speaking about these kinds of matters, let's be sure to keep that in mind because God is so holy He is so high, He is so righteous, that any sin that we commit, we must deal with that sin, no matter what it might be. We must deal with that sin in God's own appointed way so that we can come in contact and stay in contact with the precious blood of Jesus and receive forgiveness for that. Jesus died for all sinners not just those who commit gruesome uh, sins. And so I thought we needed to mention the comparison there. And so the next question is this. What leads someone to participate in abortion? Now Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21-22, as he's comparing the old law to his, his new system coming in, He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, whoever is angry with his brother is in danger of the judgment. And so Jesus is showing us there at least one thing. He's showing us what leads to committing murder. And so it's fair for us to ask, what is it that would lead someone specifically to participate in in something like abortion. I'm going to give you a few things here in regard to this question. I want to make reference, though, to this. The answers I'm giving here for this question, what would lead someone to participate, comes from notes that I took. Glenn Beck, who's been part of news media over the years, did an interview with Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson is now a pro-life advocate, but she used to work in abortion clinics and also was uh, a manager in uh, Planned Parenthood. She has now changed. She is a very outspoken 
advocate for pro-life. She has written a book, I believe it's called Unplanned. And I believe they have made a movie based on this book, based on her life, her decision. So I think you can reference um, unplannedthemovie.com or you can just Google Glenn Beck's uh, interview with Abby Johnson. In this interview, this conversation lasted way over an hour, unstopped, no commercials or anything like that. Uh, She's very upfront. She's very candid about her experiences. She was actually there in these clinics. So I think we can take some of her comments and try to understand what would lead a person to be involved in in abortion. So she gives us some, some ideas. The first thing is, and she used these words, she says, we believe the lie. We believe the lies that were told us. For example, the lie of what she called the greater good. The lie of what she called the greater good. In other words, those who would come in for abortion, they would tell them and they would explain to them that it's okay for you to get this abortion because you're looking down the road to having a family. Right now you can't afford a family, but you're looking down the road, you want to have a family. Right now you can't do that. And so for the greater good of your future family, then, um, then it's okay for you to go through this procedure. Also, Ms. Johnson said that you, a good number of people, not the majority, but a good number of people that come in to receive an abortion were, are ladies who already have children at home, who already have a family, and they don't feel like that they need to have this baby. And so there's the argument, for the greater good, for the greater good. I've heard this greater good argument for other things all throughout uh, life, and I have never liked it. I've never once liked it. And then it came up again with this abortion conversation. I never have liked it because... God doesn't tolerate any, any sin. Any sin. This greater good tolerates something that may be on the scale of a smaller sin for the greater good of something else that's taking place. That doesn't work. That just doesn't work with God. And sometimes we're, we're guilty of that. Something seems small, but for the greater good of something else going on, we're going to tolerate this something small. This is exactly the kind of philosophy, the kind of reasoning that they do in the abortion clinics. Also, she said they believe the lie about God. Miss Johnson said that you probably wouldn't believe the number of Girls or ladies that come in for abortion that claim to be a Christian. A Christian. And the conversation from those advisors at the clinic would go something like this. They would say, well, of all or anyone who understands your difficult situation right here, God understands it best. And God understands that you don't need to be a mom right now. God wants you to be a mom. But he understands your situation better than anybody else. 
And he understands that it would, it would bring a burden on your other children. It would be a burden in your parents' lives if, if you bear this child. And so God understands that better than anyone. And so basically they participate in this practice because they have believed the lie. We remember this statement from Paul and the danger of this. If you want to turn your Bibles over to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, Paul warns about this kind of thinking. Beginning in verse uh, 10, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10. With all deceit of unrighteousness for them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God sends them a working of error, that they should believe a lie. That they all might be judged to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words... How is it that a person comes to believe a lie? Well, it's because they have other things going on in their lives. They, they are taking pleasure in their unrighteousness. And they do not have a love for the truth. And if that characterizes anybody, then there's going to be trouble in the future of some sort. If we do not have a love for the truth, and at the same time, if we, have, if we take pleasure in that which is wrong, then trouble is coming our way. And parents, you want to safeguard your children? Think about those two statements. A love for the truth, and then what do you take pleasure in? Okay. What do they see mom and daddy taking pleasure in? Does mom and daddy take pleasure in unrighteousness? What do you think the kids are going to do? If you don't have a love for the truth and then you're taking pleasure, you're having fun in, un, in unrighteousness, then you're going to believe lies. You're going to be deceived. You're going to, you're going to believe the working of errors that are in the world. And so this is what happens to those who enter the abortion uh, clinic. Second Corinthians uh, eleven fourteen, Paul mentions that, that Satan himself appears as an angel of light. And these girls who enter the... Abortion clinic, they're scared to death. Something is going on that they did not want, they did not foresee happening to them. And so these advisors are in there and they're saying, well, you know, God understands your situation. That is the devil working as an angel of light. A second reason someone might participate and what leads a person there is just a lack of knowledge. Just a plain lack of knowledge. For instance, Miss Johnson in that interview, she, she said that they are taught, everyone that works for Planned Parenthood, everyone who works for abortion clinics, they're taught that viability does not begin until the 24th week. In other words, survivability for a baby, you don't even begin to talk about viability for the baby until at least the 24th week or beyond. But she began to doubt that over the years because she began to hear about and even know some folks who had babies. And the babies were just fine and they were born premature but born before that 24th week. And that began to help her question of what she was participating in. So just a, a clear lack of knowledge the pivotal point, as we're talking about lack of knowledge here, Miss Johnson with her interview, the, pivot, the, the main point for her change came when 
a visiting doctor came to her clinic to do some abortions. But and you might be surprised about this. Most of those who do the abortions do not use, as they're doing the abortion, they do not use ultrasound. But this particular doctor was coming in and he wanted to show that he is doing abortions using, using ultrasounds. And so as one of the managers there, she was asked to come in and assist him, be there in the room. And she had not been in the room of many of those. And so she watched on the screen 13-week baby as the suction machine got close to the baby. She watched on the screen herself. She watched the baby try to get away. And keep trying to get away. And then finally the screen went black. Dark. And she left the room. She went to another room. And it just, it was a turning point. It was, it, it finally hit her. The light came on, if you will. Or something finally clicked in her mind. She left and went home to her husband. Her husband had already become pro-life. And she went home and she just told him everything she just experienced. And here's what her husband said to her. He said, Abby, now that you know the truth, what are you going to do about it? And she said her husband's words were, you know, just like an anthem for her. It was her, it was her motto. She kept repeating that to herself. And it created a change in her life. We have to watch out for a lack of knowledge. Paul admitted, after he became a Christian, Acts 26 and verse 9, he said, I verily thought, Acts 26 and verse 9, I verily thought that I ought to do all things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But he learned better. And Paul warns in Romans 10 verses 2 and 3 that some do not know the way of righteousness. And not knowing God's way of righteousness, they go out and they submit their, they don't submit to God's way of righteousness and they go and they create their own way of righteousness. But being ignorant of God's righteousness causes so many uh, problems. And so just a lack of basic knowledge um, leads to participating in this kind of a thing. A third thing she, she re, uh, revealed was money. She said money was a big factor of continuing uh, in that former life that she had. Money was a big factor. She made a lot of money as a manager of abortion uh, clinics. She said they, a clinic will do 30 to 50 a day, and um, they would give special deals. They would, set, they would tell the young lady, if you will um, go ahead and schedule your abortion today, then we will weigh the cost of the ultrasound and things like that. Uh, they made great amounts of money, they still do, on just the parts that are sold uh, for, for money, millions of dollars. So she just said, you know, money was a big factor. She said uh, she gained a very comfortable lifestyle uh, from her work there. And she says money causes you to forget. Money causes you to be naive. Because this is where you're getting your, your transportation. This is where you're getting your house. This is, this is where you're getting your comforts. Uh, 
This is where you're, this is the source of your vacations. You get all wrapped up in that. And she said it, it causes you to lose sense of what's important. And we know that from Jesus' account in Luke 12, talking about the rich man who, who tore down his barns and built bigger barns. You know, one thing about that rich man there in Jesus' story is he said to himself, after he got all of that accumulation, he said, soul, take Take your ease. Take it easy. Take it. That, that's his plan. Now he's got everything stacked up. He said, I'm going to take it easy now. I'm going to take it easy. Now, that caused him to forget God. He wasn't prepared for judgment. But also notice that this was not a man in Jesus' story who had gained his wealth by deceit. He had not gained his wealth by trickery. He had not been dishonest. The fact that he would say to himself, take it easy, means he had been working very hard. He had been working hard to accumulate and to accumulate. And finally he got to a point where he could say, I'm going to take it easy now. Okay. But even working hard and accumulating causes one to forget God often at times. And she's saying that's exactly what happened to her. He said, we were accumulating and accumulating, having a comfortable, more comfortable lifestyle, and it made us more insensitive to the lives that we were affecting. So she said money was a big factor. In the clinics, there's a certain lab, and if a life is uh, destroyed in the clinic, then... um, it has to be reassembled by law. And so there's a lab for that. And there is a guy. Most time it's a guy who will uh, take the parts and assemble them back together to make sure everything is in place. And so Glenn Beck then asked how could anyone be involved in such a work as that? And she used the word hard. She says, you just become hard to it. Hardness. Hardness. Don't ever underestimate how hard the human heart can become. Remember, they crucified our Lord. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, the soldiers were on the ground and they had his clothes and they're playing games as to who's going to get what piece of cloth. Don't ever underestimate how hard the human heart can become. We must work diligently to keep our heart open and sensitive to the needs of others, open to God in all of his truth. John warns in 1 John 3, 17 and 18. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his bowels of compassion to him, how does the love of God live in that man? The truth is the love of God doesn't live in that man. If we shut up our bowels of compassion toward others, then how are we any better than doing any better than anybody else? And then... One other thing that led her 
to participate in this is Miss Johnson. And she uses these words. She used the words believe in a lie. She used the word uh, just ignorance. And she used the word hardness. And she used this word because Mr. Beck asked Miss Johnson, he said, where did you first go off the path? Where did, how did you first get started in all this? And without even flinching, without even hesitating, Miss Johnson said, I was in college and I started dressing immodestly. She said, that's where it all started. She said, I was brought up better. I was brought up with a great deal of respect, respect for God, respect for how you look. And she said, I got in college and I started, like my other friends, started dressing immodestly. She said, I liked the attention that got me from the guys and it brought a lot of guys my ways, my way. And then before long, there was these pregnancies. And then before long, she found an abortion clinic. And before long, that, that bad choice led to other bad choices. And it, she just went downhill from there morally. She got a financial degree from the college, but morally she went further down and further down. And so that question is, what leads one? It could be a hardness of heart. It could be immodesty. It could be a love of money. It could be believing a lie, or it could just be a lack of basic knowledge. Those are the things that she shared. And then a couple of quick questions. What is it that we can do to counter this in our land? First, we can fill in the void of knowledge, the gap of knowledge that is miss- missing in people's lives. The, the work that we do as Christians, as sharing the faith and encouraging others to study the Bible and showing uh, the ways of God, this is, of course, good for a person's soul, but it's also the very thing, a, the land, a country, a state, a city, a county. This is the very thing that blesses lives here. Remember, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 that godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So definitely the knowledge of God can save a person's soul, but it's also good for your surroundings. It's good for uh, the environment. A second thing that we, we can do is to, to understand that there, is, there are women in crisis situations. And we as servants of Christ, we must look out and try to notice these and try, try to help young ladies in crisis. In the interview, Mr. Beck asked, you know, what is the, the most popular age group that comes into an abortion clinic? And without hesitating, she said college age. College age. She said the vast majority, 65% higher college age women come in. So there are young ladies, especially, who get into crisis situations. And we need to try to notice that and, and understand that and try to reach out and help as we can because we have the knowledge of Christ and we have, we have the powers of encouragement that we gain from following the example of Christ. And, and so we need to recognize that there are women in crisis and create ministries to serve in that behalf. 
The third thing that we can do, of course, is to continue to support the children's homes that reach out to these moms. And oftentimes the children's homes, our brotherhood children's homes, will do just that. They'll reach out to these moms who are expecting but who have, they're kind of in a crisis situation, but they bring them in. And as we support that, then we are supporting life. We're supporting the very things that God would want us uh, to support. Then this question. It's an important question for all of us. What about forgiveness? What about forgiveness? Can a person who once participated in the atrocities that we have described in a very limited way this evening, can that person be forgiven? Is God's love that great? Is God's love that deep? So they started talking about that. And of course, Mr. Beck and Miss Johnson are not associated with New Testament Christianity, but they are associated with the ideal of God forgiving. And so she volunteered this information. She went back and thought about it. She had been involved, either directly or indirectly, in 22,000 abortions. This one lady had been involved in 22,000 of them. Can God forgive even that sin? Well, we know that He can if someone submits to the New Testament way of salvation because we remember Jesus' words when He said, Father, forgive them. The very ones crucifying Him. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We can almost see or at least realize in a very strong manner that God really does reach out to those of us on earth, those of us who are human, those of us who are sinners. God truly does reach out. He's willing to forgive even those who have gone far astray. With that in mind, we're going to sing our song of encouragement. Please keep that in mind. If you are not in a condition tonight where you have strayed away, then keep this in mind as you speak to someone else about their condition. But if you're in a position this evening where you know you're not right with God. Please remember how much He loves you, how much He wants you to be at home with Him, how much He wants the best for you in this life right now. That The best this life has to offer is a life lived full-heartedly with our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we can assist you this evening in gospel obedience, we love to do so right now as we stand together, as we sing, brother.